I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. seen a shooting star tonight and i thought of you you're trying to break into another world a world i never knew i always kind of wondered if you ever made it through seen a shooting star tonight and i thought of you this is pod dylan the show that celebrates the work of bob dylan one song at a time proud member of the fire and water podcast network i'm your host of free will and rob kelly and joining us this week to talk about shooting star the lovely final track of the 1989 album oh mercy is fellow network all-star and often pod dylan guest Ryan Daly. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to have you back. This is what? I think number six for you, I think, at this point, with Bob Dylan? Yeah, this is six or seven. Um, and I only like four Bob Dylan songs. Wow. So I, don't know, I don't know how I keep coming back. One of it, that's, hmm, you really managed to, uh, now I, I need a moment to think about that. All right, hold on. So, okay, anyway, so yeah, as I said, we're here to talk about uh, Shooting Star from 1989's Oh Mercy, as I said. I know that, uh, you know, at, you like a lot of Bob Dylan songs, contrary to what you just said, but you're, you're, your interest is very heavily leaning on the Daniel Lenoir stuff, right? Because your two, your favorite Dylan song, which we covered, is not dark yet, which is yep. from the other Lenoir album. So you and, and we, you, we also covered most of the time, which was also was, was on Oh Mercy, yeah? right? And we did Pain Blood, which is not Lenoir. But you, you really seem to like that Lenoir sound that he brings to when he's when he's recording uh, Dylan. Yeah, I, I mean, those two are at least two of my top five Dylan albums. Um, and from what I've heard, his latest one, Rough and Rowdy Ways, also might be in my top five. Mm, um, okay. But yeah, I, I just, there's something about the, the sound, the production, which is, we've talked about this before. I know it might be a little bit ironic because apparently while Dylan and Lenoir got along and they, they had an amicable relationship, they argued constantly about what should and should <laughs> not be on these albums. Um, and I think we could make a case that some of the better songs got left off. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Absolutely. in both cases. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is definitely one of my favorites and it's just, it's part of the, the whole, I've been listening to the album. Oh, mercy a lot. And for some reason, I don't know what was wrong with me in previous listens, but it wasn't until kind of getting ready for this that I was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of spirituality in this album that, that I, for some reason, never picked up on, on, on previous listens. Yeah, I mean, for again, for anybody that needs the context sort of a little bit for this record was Bob had been coming off a series of uh, underwhelming albums, let's mm-hmm. say, <laughs> and, and underwhelming live albums. I mean, real live, Dylan and the Dead, I'm Empire Burlesque. I know everybody that listens to the show loves Empire Burlesque, but get over it. Knocked Out Loaded and Down in the Groove. And then, of course, he then did the Wilburys, and right around this time, he started writing songs. And there's that quote from George Harrison where he said uh, he apparently Dylan had played or either played or at least read the lyrics to these songs to George Harrison. Imagine that. Imagine having a Beatle to bounce your work off of. How cool would that got to be? But um, apparently he played these songs for, for Harrison, and Harrison later said, if the Wilburys did anything, they got Bob to start writing great songs again, so it was worth it. What a great thing for your friend to say about that. But apparently that Dylan had just signed a new contract with with Columbia Records, and he knew that the last couple albums had really been sort of compilations of what he had lying around. And he apparently knew he had to really make a had to make this one count. He had a new record, new contract. He really had to make something important. And he did. He obviously really managed with Lenoir to sort of bend these songs 
uh, into shape. Now, yes, we can argue that uh, a lot of the greatest songs did not make it onto this record. I mean, the fact that this, the fact that this record doesn't have dignity or series of dreams is, you know, you just shake your heads and series of dreams is my all time favorite Bob Dylan song. Mm -hmm. So the fact that those two could be left off is just sort of like, wow. I have heard two different sources, one that uh, Lenoir wanted a series of dreams to be either the first song Mm. and Bob vetoed it for political world or the last song and Bob vetoed it for this one. So, (laughs) okay. I, well, all right. I mean, I can, Hmm. I can, yeah, all right. I can Having having listened to it again a couple of times just in the last few days, I like every song on Oh Mercy. I'm not sure I like the arrangement and the order of the songs as they flow. And I don't know if it would be a different experience listening to it on a vinyl record where you've got two distinct sides with each side being a different listening experience. And I've been, I've been more kind of thinking about that and kind of orienting my head towards that just in recent months since I've been doing a a music-based show and thinking about records. Um, But I've only ever heard this one either on CD or uh, on uh, digital where you have the whole album running through. Um, So I don't know. I just, the, the arrangement of the songs, the order, I might've made some, some changes to it, but I'm not sure the flow is as cohesive, but each individual song, including the one that we're going to talk about, I love. So if that was Lanois Hill to die on, if again, we don't know that this is exactly true, but if that, if that, if Lanois was saying series of dreams is going to be either the first or the last, then I could say, well, I could see why Bob would say, leave it off. Because to me, I would not have wanted to lose political world. And to and also to me, this is the perfect way to end this record is with this song. Mm. So I would have, I would have fought to have series of dreams on there, but just not in the first or last position. Cause this, this to me, this song is one of Dylan's most effective album closers. It, to yes. me, it really, it sort of, I mean, I will continue with the the lyrics a little bit. It says, seen a shooting star tonight, and I thought of me. If I was still the same, if I ever became what you wanted me to be, did I miss the mark or overstep the line that only you can see? Seen a shooting star tonight, and I thought of me. Listen to the engine, listen to the bell, as the last fire truck from hell goes rolling by. All good people are praying. It's the last temptation, the last account, the last time you might hear the Sermon on the Mount, the last radio was playing. So, okay, I can't, I mean, like a lot of great Dylan songs, this is either aimed at a lover or his audience. And it can work whichever way you want it to do it. I've always taken it as a little bit as to the audience. To me, the line about if I was still the same, if I ever became what you wanted me to be, did I miss the mark or overstep the line that only you can see? Which to me is an amazing turn of phrase of the idea of I'm not the thing that you wanted me to be. And you never told me what you wanted me to be. Because only you know it, and you're now criticizing me or going after me because I'm not the thing that you imagined in your head. And I just think that's such an effective line. But, I mean, yeah, it could be both a relationship or a performer to an audience or an artist to an audience. I've also heard that this song might have been about some, – some theorize that this is about him sort of shedding and breaking away from his – religious phase mm. um and the line that only, like did i uh miss the line that only you could see is addressing god uh oh, and, or, or some sort of like um religious uh not not scruple i can't think of like the word but like uh, sort of like a kind of a, a standard uh right. of behaving and of living that he wasn't capable of living up to for that long um a tenet perhaps may, yeah yeah um uh, for me 
just going back to how how I when I discovered the song and like the the story that I craft for this, I've always taken it as the former where it's he's talking about a lover, a past okay. uh, a past person in his life, a, a woman. Um, for for the context, I discovered this song actually on MTV Unplugged or, or the, um, right. the Bob Dylan Unplugged album um, because. As I mentioned on my first appearance, um, I, I grew up hearing a lot of his music either through osmosis or my dad was listening to tons of it. Um, but he was the one who convinced me to listen to Time Out of Mind. And I really, really liked that. Uh, and then I listened to Unplugged. And this is the second song on that. And this one jumped out at me because I had heard other songs. I had heard Desolation Row. I had heard All Along the Watchtower and everything. This was a song that I wasn't familiar with, but I was struck by the pretty simple arrangement and mm-hmm. almost kind of lullaby quality of it um, as a, just a very simple kind of ballad and, and a sad song. Um, so then I wanted to hear what the original version was. And that's when I started listening to Oh Mercy um, and then felt like my love for the song was rewarded because this song was one of four Dylan tracks included uh, on the album or no, one, maybe only three uh, on the soundtrack to the movie Wonder Boys. Oh, that's uh, which is- right. It is one of my favorite movies uh, and one of my favorite soundtracks. It included Things Have Changed, the the Oscar winning track. Also, Not Dark Yet, my favorite Dylan track. And then this <laughs> one was also on there. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not alone. This is a great song. But so getting into the story that I have always, the way I have interpreted this, and I didn't think I was doing anything kind of like profound in my interpretation of this. But when I hear the first verse, seen a shooting star tonight and I thought of you. What do we kind of, what, what is an, an obvious metaphor or symbol for a shooting star? I think of a celebrity, um, like the, the, uh, the song shooting star by bad company. Right. Um, a shooting star is like a, a person of like great fame or notoriety. And I felt like he was singing about an ex, somebody I seen a shooting star tonight and I thought of you. You were trying to break into that other world, a world I never knew. They, hit this rock in their relationship because she wanted to be rich. She wanted to be famous. She wanted to be in this, this movie Hollywood biz. And he, that just wasn't for him or he just, he didn't fit in with that scene. And then I, I've seen a shooting start. And I, I thought of me. Um, uh, and he's thinking about his own shortcomings and how, like whatever led to their tumultuous breakup that he just, he couldn't conform to what she wanted. And, and this past kind of, uh, the, the the end of that, and then where it jumps into like this middle section, which a lot of people read into this religious symbolism of it. I just took it on on, on its face with listen to the 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 engine of the last fire truck from hell. He's walking in the street, or or he gets some awareness that there's been an emergency. He sees fire trucks going to her her house or her party or something like that, or an ambulance, and he knows in that instant that she's died. Um, it was oh, an overdose wow. or a suicide or some other kind of just, he knows that some terrible fate has befallen her, um, because of their breakup, because she wanted to get into this thing that, and, and he was left behind. So when it gets to the final verse, I've seen a shooting star tonight slip away. Tomorrow will be another day. Guess it's too late for me to say the things that you needed to hear me say. I've seen a shooting star tonight slip away. And that's just him recognizing that. If there was a time I could have saved you and pulled you back from the brink of destruction, we, I missed it. That, you know, I, I didn't, well, we missed that chance. It wasn't meant to be. Um, and, and now you're gone. And so that's, that's kind of like the, the story construction I had in my head that it's just him singing about a lover when he realizes that she's died. Um, and just, and going back and piecing through 
you know, they, he, maybe he thought they were going to be together to forever, but she, her, her life took her in a different direction and he's still alive because of the split, but you know, wow, that's marvelous. That's a mar. I, I never conceived of any of that. That's a, that's a, that's a, I understand. That's a marvelous interpretation. I, the, because I, I never thought of this song as a story song, really, because it does seem just to be more of a guy musing, exactly. Although I will say that the, the, um, you get to that third verse, and all of a sudden, yeah, you are confronted with this very specific imagery of listening to the, about the last fire truck from hell goes rolling by, all good people are praying. But I never, I always just thought it was a guy kind of ruminating. Not so much telling a story, but that really that really holds together for me. I like that a lot. The idea that yeah, this person wanted to be wanted to be in this world, and this the narrator is like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not ready for that, or I'm not willing to do that. And then this person does something like that, and now he's realizing, oh, it's too late now. To that's that's fantastic. I again, I've never, I've been, I've been living with the song for. Uh, what thirty years now, and I've never <laughs> thought of it like that. But that's that's fantastic, and it's it, I'm sure part of it, it, like like what we do with any song, I'm bringing a little bit of my own biography to my interpretation of right. it and my own expectations. I, I mean, I'll concede that the uh, th- that third kind of that bridge verse in the middle is the one that is hardest to square with the story. Right. I mean, you really ha- kind of I, I have to basically say that okay, this fire engine. Why didn't he just say an ambulance if it's a Baba death or right. something like that or, right. or any kind of like a hearse or something more concrete? Um, what's the, the last temptation on the map? The last radio is playing. It's, it's harder to kind of like, you know, fit those in the, in the square. Um, but it's, yeah, that's, that's still the way I've, I, I make it work in my head. If this, if this person that the narrator is singing to is someone who wanted to be in the, in the world of the performer and couldn't you know want, desperately wanted to get into the world of the performer but couldn't do it because of lack of talent or different or whatever reasons maybe that person was listening to the narrator on the radio for the mm. last time and that's the third verse the last radio swing it's the last you know the last time you're the the, the person who kills themselves or dies because the, 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 they're hearing the narrator for the last time over the radio Right, right. Uh, so there's yeah. that too. So now we're all piecing this together. This is a big, now. It's funny for a for a, a a song that again, like I just said, I don't really feel like is a story. If you, it is instructive. If you go and you can go to YouTube and you can listen to these things, there are there is at least one uh, alternate take of this song that Bob worked on with Lanois when they were doing a mercy, and the words are very different. There's a lot of different. Um, the performance is relatively the same. Um, I will say, I think his vocal is a little craggier mm-hmm. on the outtake than on the, this one. It's a lot, I think it's a lot smoother and a lot kinder. It's yeah. a lot more wistful in this one, a lot more melancholy. But it's funny for, again, for a song that I don't think of as a story, to me, the, the early, presumably the earlier version, um, is much less, is much form, much more formless. It, to me, it's just all going all over the place. Right. And it doesn't really have something that you can sort of let you, you feel like Bob is almost like, thinking extemporaneously of like, here's this line, here's this line, but and it's all just kind of a jumble. By the time he gets to this version, uh, it's much more coherent. It is much more of a through line through the four verses, even if not necessarily a story, but it's a single thought you can sort of follow as he's going through the song. And again, the, the singing performance is marvelous. He, and then um, there's a slight echo on his voice that Lanois puts in, uh, mm-hmm. which is not something again, they would typically do again. He would do it again on time out of mind. 
but it, there's a slight. I remember when he sings, uh, goes rolling by, you can hear like the, <laughs> you can hear the just slight echo of it. And then of course he punctuates this final verse with a harmonica burst. Yeah. And that's the end of the record is this wonderful harmonica solo that he does. And again, it's, it's so sweet, but so wistful <laughs> in that this guy is sort of saying goodbye. And I think most Dylan fans at a certain point do wonder with every record, is this the last one? You know, you start to wonder, is he going to pack it in? I mean, after 30 records, I mean, and so every, at least for me, every time he does a, a, a final song on a record, you always start, you know, kind of like getting up in your own head and like unpacking, you're like, well, is this it? Is this the final word? Is it the final word he wants to say to it? Now, of course, you know, Oh Mercy was not even close to the final record, <laughs> but in 1989, we didn't know that. And this well, is- well if, if Rough and Rowdy Ways is his last one, then his last song is five hours long. So he <laughs> he's really like, I'm swinging for the fences here, people. Uh, but I mean, it, there there is something to this of like this really. Bob doesn't. I don't know how much he does like this ideas of like concept albums. He obviously has a vision in his head, and some songs don't fit. No matter how good the songs are, they don't go on. It doesn't matter. But this does feel like a summation, a bit of what we've heard to this point. Of this guy, and again, I I really am liking this idea, Ryan. I'm really liking this idea of this is so specific, and it is a very oblique story song. So I like that a lot. Well, then I, I think I fooled you. So <laughs> if, I can, <laughs> if I can convince you, um, now given the the uh, you know scholarly level of uh, and quality of your your other guests who have been on this show besides me, I'm sure they have their own theories if they like the song at all, and some of them may have may have some sort of expert insight into this song, uh, and, and I would be keen to hear it, uh, especially if I'm completely wrong. Uh, you know, you let can't us know. be wrong, though. You can't be wrong. That's the beauty I mean, has of he gone? Has he ever gone on the record and talked? I'm sure he, well, why would he? But, like, I, I don't know if he's ever, if there is any more kind of insight, if there is a, a definitive statement about this song. And- Not as far as I know. He doesn't really get into it about it yeah. in Chronicles. That's the most he's ever talked about is making the record, but he doesn't get into like, oh, by the way, Shooting Star is about this. You know, he doesn't <laughs> say that. So, yeah, no, I think it's it's a perfectly valid interpretation and I like it a lot. Again, and, it's, and it's, so much is the the performance in his voice of just, again, the wistfulness that he's able to hear, of course, because it's like he's he's sad. He's not angry. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even though you've got the line about... um you know, and I thought it made, did I miss the mark or overstep the line that only you can see? That's got some anger in it, but the way he says it is more sad and resigned of just mm-hmm. that only you could see. You know, he's he's past the anger of this thing and he's moved on to just something of just this kind of rumination about it. And you mentioned, of course, that it was um he played it at the MTV Unplugged sessions uh, in nineteen ninety five. So this song was only six years old at this point, at that point. Mm-hmm. So obviously he was still kind of pleased with it. Um, concert wise, it's only been played 126 times in the course of the 23 between 1990 and 2013. Um, there are some live versions you can find on YouTube and they're, they're perfectly nice. They're, it, it, he doesn't, um, it's not a song that he futzes with very much. The, the verses, uh, on the live version that you hear is basically what you're going to hear on the record. But it's, I think the tune is so sweet and so nice that I could, I like that he sort of kept it intact. I like when he screws with things and changes it all up around. But I like that in this case, he sort of, yeah, I think he, think he realizes, ah, I got this one right. I think this is probably, I really got it. I nailed it. And I'll just do it the way that it was on the record. Because it sounds great. The one other thing I do want to mention that I love about this song, 
And I don't know, it has to have been intentional because I don't believe anything on a Bob Dylan record goes by just willy-nilly. Oh, I could be completely wrong. You listen to this song, right? The song goes and then it ends. And there is probably one or two seconds of silence. Song's over. Album's over. But if you listen closely, you hear this weird sound at the very end of the song. You hear this little wah sound. Did you notice that when you were listening to it? I don't it's, think I did, no. It's very quiet. If you listen to it, you just go, it sounds like the song is over. But at the very, very end, you'll just hear this little wah sound. And it sounds almost like the music, one of the musicians like put his guitar down or something. Huh. Like it sounds like a guitar. I don't know. Again, I know nothing about music, so maybe I'm completely wrong. But anyone who's heard this, I, I remember the first time I heard it, like I left the CD on and I was like, wait, what's that? What was that? What was that sound? And you just hear this little sound. And to me, we, I know from reading uh, one of the Clinton Halen's books, the recording sessions, that almost all of Omercy was recorded in the middle of the night. It was done from like midnight to 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. It was a very, very subterranean record. In fact, on YouTube, again, there's an interview with Daniel Lenoir where he talks about the making of the record. And apparently Bob was like, I only want to do things at night or something like that. <laughs> but it, that sound to me almost feels like it had to have been left in. And it's it, there's this sort of informality of like, yeah, we're hearing whatever musicians are playing, putting their instruments down and they're done for the night. There's just some extra little, you're like in the studio all of a sudden with the players beyond just the songs. And I love that extra little detail and only a Dylan nerd like me even notices that stuff, but I just, I love it. And I can't help but think of it when I listen to the song. Cause yeah. there it is. It's just a little wah sound. It's only like, it's like the sound of like the pick striking like a, like yeah. a string or something on a guitar. Like uh, incidentally. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I mean, I've, I've heard that too. And I, I, it makes sense to me because I don't think a song like the man in the long black coat could have been recorded during the daytime. I don't think, no, like, right. you, you couldn't do that song when the sun is up. Yeah, right. Exactly. How are you going to talk about that? The creepy swamp stuff in the, in the middle of the afternoon, go outside. You know, it's like, it's like when you go see a movie mm-hmm. in the afternoon and you're in the dark for two hours, not that anybody goes to movies anymore, but you know what I mean? When yeah. you, the before times, we used to go to movies <laughs> and you would go to a movie and it was, you know, you're sitting in the dark for two hours. Then you go out in like the bright afternoon and you're like, ah, like <laughs> we all turn into Dracula with our jackets yeah, up over us. Yeah, head. what happened? You know, it feels weird. So yeah, this, this record could only have been made at night and it's, mm-hmm. it just has that, to it. And again, I always wonder, like, you know, when you're recording with Bob Dylan <laughs> at four in the morning, when you're done, you just go home? I don't know. <laughs> do you go to a bar? I mean, what do you do at that point? I mean, imagine you're probably pretty pumped. I can't imagine that you're just like, well, that was a good job. I'm going to go to bed now. Like, it's weird. You know, I can't imagine what that's like. But yeah, it really is, uh, to me, is one of my favorite Bob Dylan final songs because to me, it just, it, it sums everything up in a nice, way of some of the some of the themes uh, that are present on no mercy but just again this idea that to me this is somebody talking to a a performer talking to their audience an artist talking to their audience or someone talking to their lover and just saying i really wish i could have been the thing you needed me to be but i'm not and that's i'm sorry but that's what else am i going to do and you're reminding me of a shooting star, which again, in some cases can be a beautiful thing. Shooting stars can be beautiful, bright things. They don't last. Right. That's their whole notion is that, that they're, 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 they're transient. But again, it's, it's a nice thing to refer to someone as because it's a star. You know, it's a, it's a bright, nice thing but yet of course it's there's the negative connotation to it right well the the nature of the shooting star is it has to fall so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's really really gorgeous 
the the yeah the last thing I just <laughs> I did wanted to mention um, like I I cannot sing well I mean I know how <laughs> I just I don't have the singing voice that anybody would really like champion or, or pay for um, mm-hmm. but when you have a young child uh, you have a captive audience uh, <laughs> and especially if they they can't push you away or fight back or tell you no um, so when I was trying to put my son to bed when he was a baby like within the first two years and everything when I was trying to I would often sing to him songs and because I'm me. I don't like listen to lullabies and, and songs that you would sing to little kids. I sang him the songs that I liked and that I knew the lyrics to. So I would sing him songs by Tom Waits and Prince and the Rolling Stones. And <laughs> this is the one Bob Dylan song that I was singing because this is the one that I could memorize. I knew all the lyrics and it's, it's <laughs> lyrically very simple. So someday, you know, somewhere buried in my, my three-year-old son's subconscious is he knows the lyrics to this song because I sang him to, I sang him to bed with this one a couple of times. So. Not bad. I you what Prince song? You said like "Sexy Motherfucker" or whatever. Yeah, you know, what exactly. Um, um, Little Red Corvette a couple times. Uh, I could never <laughs> take the place of your man. Uh, Ruby's Arms was a Tom Waits one I would do, or uh, uh, Downtown Train. Um, uh, uh, can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. Um, a good thing to teach a kid early on. That's yeah, a, yeah. I was trying to so, impart yeah. some of the stuff. Yeah. This does have a real nursery rhyme kind of quality it does, yeah. to it. It's which again, it's just funny when you consider his very nice record under the red sky is all that kind of nursery rhyme mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So you could almost wonder if he was uh, slowly moving in that direction. I mean, in fact, one of the songs recorded for this record, "Born in Time," uh, didn't end up getting used on "Oh Mercy" and got put on "Under the Red Sky." So you can see that he was already sort of moving into those forms. Bob loves to do that. He loves to kind of in some ways preview the album he's working on next. I mean, you can say like the last two songs of John Wesley Harding are country songs leading mm-hmm. into Nashville Skyline. So you can think that that sort of simple song form was in his mind. And again, obviously shooting stars consciously that because some of the other songs political world uh, is incredibly complex in terms mm-hmm. of the, the lyric quality and stuff like that. And, and man of the long black coat, but this again is very simple and it fits the notion of someone sitting in a room somewhere just sort of plaintively thinking what they might say to this person that's gone yeah it's, it's, it's a, simple yeah yeah it's a song about regret it's a song about looking back at something whatever it is um whatever the audience was whether or the or the subject whether it was a a past lover or to the to the audience to the fans to god to whatever it was it's it, i i take it as a song just acknowledging a regret of something that just didn't work out a relationship, a, a connection that was missed and just ultimately doomed to fail. So, yeah, it also features, again, this will be my last thing is, is Dylan is so wonderfully perverse in sticking some really discordant images and sometimes <laughs> beautiful songs. So, I mean, this is a sweet, uh, wistful song, but then you've got the line, the last fire truck from hell. <laughs> which is like a crazy image, you know, and you would think in, in a lot of other songs, the songwriter would not be able to sell that because it's such a discordant image. It's kind of like the song he has, Precious Angel, which is one of his most gorgeous love songs, nevertheless features the line, we're covered in blood, girl. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's able to fit that stuff in. So it's like in such a, such a beautiful, pretty song. And then he's got the last fire truck from hell, which is just like, all right, okay. Like, what a weird... So, but again, that's that's. I just, took, I just took it something very clamorous and loud and jarring you out of whatever state you were in to kind of like wake you up about something and uh, some sort of announcing because you can't you can't not pay attention to a fire engine or or a fire truck and and it coming out of hell portends something dark. So, 
Yeah. And then, uh, okay, I, but this is really the last. <laughs> I keep finding new things. But the last radio is playing, uh, again, not intentional, but I, when I see that line, the last radio is playing, it makes me think a lot about uh, Key West from yeah. Rough and Rowdy Ways because it's all talking and listening about a guy list, trying to get in that pirate radio station, this idea that the radio is you know, the songs are going away, things are fading. Uh, you know, again, it's, I mean, come on. I mean, the radio is something that's figured into his songs a lot, but now, you know, in, in the patchwork of my mind that are Dylan lyrics all buried in my brain, I see that line last radio was playing. I can see that line in Key West. Now the last radio was playing is it fits that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a truly wonderful song. Not really one of his more famous ones, but as you mentioned, it was already, it was on the soundtrack to, Mm -hmm. uh, to wonder boy. So obviously somebody liked it to, to pull it off the album and put it on that soundtrack. And, yeah, and and the the inclusion on unplugged. So I think there. I yeah. mean, it's it's got a life outside of the album. So I think that's yeah. that's a testament to it. Absolutely. So all right. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks so much, Ryan, for for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You can find me if listeners want to hear more about it. Uh, check me out on Fire and Water Records if you want to hear other music related stuff on the Fire and Water Network. Absolutely. It's a very, very fun show. Everybody should be listening to it. So, of course, if you want to follow the show, go to the website, fryingwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're always talking Bob on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big, big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel and Sebastian Krug for their support of Pod Dylan. Really, really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Seen a shooting star tonight. Slip away. <laughs>